0: I am impressed to see so many of you at 5.30. I thought no one's gonna be here. But I'm glad you are. Uh, I'm Doug Fullington. I'm the manager of audience education here at PMB and this is opening night of our 17-18 season. And we're presenting a new production of uh, Jewels, choreographed by Balanchine. And this is the 50th anniversary year of Jewels, which premiered in April of 67 at New York City Ballet and the New York State Theater, which was fairly new. The State Theater opened in 64, and then Balanchine started to choreograph a number of large-scale works, because the stage was a lot bigger from where New York City Ballet had been, which was at New York City Center, which is down in Midtown. And so they were on this big stage, and he was starting to choreograph larger-scale works. So that's sort of how the the big picture for Jules. I'm just going to jump right in. I put most of what I know in the program notes, so I'm going to repeat some of that because I wrote put everything I know in there. So, you just it'll come out a little bit differently. Um, I was interested to find out that when Jules was first performed, it wasn't didn't have a name. Jules. There was just a blank spot on the playbill, and below the blank spot were the credits. And then each ballet did have its name, Emeralds, Rubies, and Diamonds, but there wasn't this overall name. But uh, apparently Balanchine referred to it as The Jewels, sort of uh, behind the scenes, if you will. It was sort of the working title, but it wasn't printed in the program. But Clive Barnes, who was writing for the New York Times at the time, said, well, it has to have a name, so I'm going to call it The Jewels or Jewels. And I don't know if New York City Ballet took that, They'd never admit to it. Or if they um, shortened Balanchine's working title, The Jewels, to just Jewels. But originally there was n- no name, and originally it was performed with other works on the program. So the opening night was Emerald's Intermission, Ruby's Intermission, Diamond's Intermission, Prodigal Son, which is 40 minutes long. It's a huge program. And then a couple days later, uh, at the matinee, it was Balanchine's Swan Lake, which is sort of Act Two and Act Four, sort of put together, so not short. Swan Lake, Intermission, Emeralds, Rubies, Diamonds. So these really long programs, and it continued to be performed that way for a while. It was very popular right away and was selling well, so you'd think they might drop the extra ballet because they didn't need it because it was selling so well. That said, Emeralds was a little bit shorter. Then, uh, in seventy-six, nine years later, Balanchine added two sections to Emeralds. The first section uh, that he added comes towards the end. It's the the pas de deux, the duet for the a sort of first couple. And it's slow, and they're walking along the sides from upstage toward us, downstage, with their arms up, and they're looking at each other. So that part was added in 76. And then the slow finale, the slow last movement was was also added. So there's a fast finale with everybody, and they pose, and it feels like the end. That was the end, originally. And then he added this sort of epilogue, if you will, that's slow, just for the seven leading dancers. Uh, the court de ballet women are done, and the seven leading dancers, and it ends with a man on the stage alone, uh, kneeling and kind of looking out into the distance. It's a very romantic uh, type of ending, and it's very... Uh, to me, it, it represents a lot of Balanchine. He was a real romantic. For as much as Balanchine was very progressive and we think of him as a modernist, he was a real romantic. And we see that in something like Emeralds. Anyway, so that's the that's the sort of early history of jewels. And I think no other company performed jewels, I don't think, in its entirety, while Balanchine was alive. Maybe Zurich, because he had a close relationship with that company. But a number of companies picked up rubies. Rubies is the shortest, it has the smallest cast, it's sort of fireworks and sort of immediately accessible. Paris Opera Ballet picked it up in the early 70s and some other ballets. We got rubies first also in 1988. But after Balanchine died, companies started to sort of look at his ballets differently. And Jules was, it was a nice, it's a nice package because it has a number of leading roles. It has a lot of corps de ballet parts, and each of the ballets is quite different. So if you're going to acquire some Balanchine ballets, Jules seemed to make sense. If you had a large company, it had something for everybody. So the large companies started to pick it up. Uh, The Royal Ballet, National Ballet of Canada, number of U.S. companies, the Mariinsky Ballet in St. Petersburg, the Bolshoi, and so forth. And, and now it's it's performed by dozens of companies. Really, all of the world's large companies perform jewels. And it's become a staple in the repertory. But it's sort of unique for Balanchine in that regard. Um, a lot of these productions have been redesigned, including the one you're about to see tonight, and I'll get to that. But uh, maybe first let's talk about each of the ballets individually. It's always a little hard to talk about the Balanchine ballets because he didn't talk about them. That was the thing, he didn't talk about them. So around these ballets grew all these ideas, base, a lot of them about you know what did he mean, what was he doing? Because there's a, always this idea that Balanchine had a lot of back, uh, backlogged thoughts about the ballets and they meant certain things or they referred to certain things like his childhood. Or they were a tribute to a certain company style or country style of dancing, and so forth. So you have to. I think this is interesting, but you have to take it with a grain of salt too, because he never said it. Uh, the thought with emeralds. What well, definitely it, it is the French ballet. The music is by Gabriel Fauré. It's beautiful music. Uh, It was written uh, to accompany uh, Peleus and Melisande and Shylock to uh, sort of give uh, musical voice to these works. And it embodies a number of elements that were popular in the 19th century. Uh, this sort of neo medievalism, you know, the Mid- Middle Ages were very popular in the 19th century, uh, dressing up in medieval costume, uh, a sort of idealized view of the Middle Ages, which were kind of a rough period as we know now. But in the 19th century, they liked to look at it with a gloss, and the idea of chivalry and so forth. And so this informs emeralds. Emeralds also looks back to the romantic era of ballet which uh, occurred in Paris between about 1820 to 1860. It's really the point in time when uh, women started going up on their toes and the idea of uh, the ethereal woman uh, developed wearing the ballet skirt that went down kind of t-length if you will below the knee but above the ankle and that is what the the skirts for emeralds are like and if it's redesigned they still have to be that length because this is part of the look of the ballet so uh, the music the ambiance the costuming all refers back to the 19th century so there's a little bit of an antique feel to emeralds now we're going to combine that with two uh, ballerinas that Balanchine made the leading roles on. Uh, ballerinas he was very interested in in the 1960s. One of them was Violette Verdi. She was French, she was vivacious, outgoing, had great technique, quick mover, a lot of personality on stage. Uh, Noelani Pantastico is going to dance the Violette Verdi role tonight. and I think it's her debut in this role. Contrast that with the other ballerina, Mimi Paul. Uh, very introverted person, very private, uh, always talks in a whisper. When she came to coach, it was always whispering, so everyone tried to get close to hear what she was saying. It was very difficult to tape her because it's very quiet. Um, and Balanchine made a role for her here, uh, her duet. Essentially, she never looks at the partner. It's very sort of private. She just won't look at him, and it's not coy or anything. It was just sort of how she was. She was very private. She also dances a solo, and apparently Balanchine let her choose the music. He played two pieces for, her, and she chose the one that she heard every morning on the radio. It was sort of the intro song. Uh, we've done our videographer Lindsay Thomas has done about a twenty-three minute short film. Uh, chronicling the the visits from these original cast members and we have it on our YouTube uh, channel and also on our website and Mimi explains this how Balanchine let her choose it's really fun to hear from her because she comes down in history to us as this very private slightly opaque individual when you see her uh, interviewed she's she's a lot of fun he let her choose the music and he created this role for her that's a little bit private. And as an audience, it's like we're sort of led into this private space, if you will. Makes the role a little bit difficult to cast. Uh, it's one thing about Jewels, is that uh, one school of thought is that it is so tailored to the original dancers that it is maybe slightly difficult to cast uh, after the fact. And we've been after the fact for a long time now, uh, because it's 50 years on. But we were very fortunate that Violette came uh, to us two times, and I think Mimi two times also, to work with the dancers. So we have that direct uh, line of uh, coaching from these women that Balanchine made the roles on. So that sort of informed uh, Jules, too. Uh, There was this idea with Emeralds that it's French. And it it also refers to the French sort of school of ballet, um, which is thought of sort of as pure ballet, if you will. Of course, France is considered the home of ballet. Uh, The language of ballet is the French language. And the school of French ballet is a very uh, pure school, very clean footwork, very sculptural upper body. The idea was that you could look at the body in the round as though you were looking at a sculpture, say, in a museum that was on a pedestal, and you could walk all the way around it, and you would have sort of uh, physical harmony of the body of the sculpture at any angle. That's changed a little bit in ballet where uh, the focus is a little more on the audience just seeing the dancer head-on through the proscenium. The idea in the 19th century was that the body could be viewed from any angle or sort of in the round, if you will, and and be sculptural. And this is the idea in emeralds as well with a lot of the steps. They refer back to this period. Uh, The Italians call it tutto tondo or um, the... uh, looking at the body as a complete whole, if you will. So that's a lot of sort of ideas thrown out there. But those, that's sort of the thinking around emeralds, if you will. I love emeralds. Some people think it's very subtle or maybe too subtle. But I think the music's just terrific. It's very colorful and uh, uh, just uh, has such an ambiance, if you will. Okay, so let's leave emeralds. It was the short one, and it got two pieces added to it in 76. It's typical of Balanchine. He was adding, subtracting, changing. He changed Mimi's solo uh, later on. I'm not sure the reasoning, but she changed it all back when she came to us. So what you see tonight is, is what was done for her. I don't think the changes are all that big, but they meant a lot to her. And she was very uh, clear that this is the way it was made on me. And that was fun for the women dancing the role to work right with her and say, this is what Balanchine made for me. We can't have that experience anymore, so it's great to have it from them. Ruby's, as I said, was sort of the uh, instant hit of jewels. It's short, it's in three movements, it's Stravinsky, which sometimes people say, oh my God, Stravinsky. But it's Stravinsky in the 1920s, in the jazz age. So it's sort of a mix of Stravinsky, where it's kind of asymmetrical and kind of odd sounding, and yet clearly there's a jazz influence in there, and there's an element of, of fun and a carefree sort of spirit. Balanchine uh, made three leading roles here, uh, principal couple, and then uh, second ballerina. The principal couple originally was Edward Villella, who we had come work with us, was terrific with the men. Patricia McBride, who we kept trying to get to come uh, work with us, and she kept saying how happy she was being a grandmother, and she never came. (laughs) And then Patricia Neary, who's the sister of Colleen Neary, who was in the company here for some years under Kent and Francia. Uh, Patricia Neary was what we call the tall girl, because usually this, these roles are cast a little bit on the shorter side for the leading couple and on the tall side for the, the uh, uh, second ballerina role. And tonight you will see it's Benjamin Griffiths with Rachel Foster and then Lindsay Deck as the tall girl, which is a role she just loves and really identifies with. Um, with Edward Villella and Patricia McBride uh, in the 60s Balanchine was just pairing them left and right in all kinds of pieces he made a duet called Tarantella for them which is a just sort of uh, almost sort of knock-down, drag-out kind of duet. You know, anything you can do, I can do better. I have more stamina than you. Just one of these sort of gangbusters, go get them kind of ballets. And there's some of that in Ruby's definitely in the outer movements, the first and third. The second is the duet, the pas de deux. It has... Um, a lot of acrobatic movements to it, angular things, some risky things, uh, but always that element of uh, sort of fun challenge, if you will. The dancers love doing it. This was a role that Peter Bull danced, and he is the um, one who teaches the the lead couple uh, their parts and works with them very closely. Uh, Ruby's is all in red. Um, There's a tradition from the original costumes by Barbara Karinska of the skirts, having uh, long uh, sort of strands on them and sort of behaving like flapper skirts. And they have the jewels attached to them, so they kind of uh, clatter and clack as the women move. And uh, Peter wanted to retain that in the new design by Jerome Kaplan, so that's there as well. Uh, jewels, as I said, it's the shortest. It's uh, essentially a piano concerto. You'll hear Alan Dameron tonight. He'll rotate with Christina Siemens in the... Uh, piano soloist uh, part this week and next. And then we go on to Diamonds, uh, which is the, well, I should say and haven't said, Rubies is sort of thought of the American ballet, if you will. And it really did choreographically um, have in it the kind of movements Balanchine was really interested in, in the sixties, very up to date at the time, sort of testing new things, partnering wise, but also in the sixties, he had a little bit of a a renaissance around his, uh, Broadway choreography. When he first came to the States, he did a lot of Broadway shows in the thirties and forties and some work in Hollywood on films too. And in the sixties, he came back to it a little bit slaughter on 10th Avenue that we did, uh, Last year, he, the next year after Jules, he would bring that back. And then in 1970, he set a bunch of Gershwin songs and made a ballet called Who Cares? So um, he had this sort of revival of interest in uh, the Broadway choreography and was setting a lot of ballets to jazz. And I think that's how Ruby sort of fits into what was going on at the time when he made, made Jules in 67. Okay, on to Diamonds. Uh, Diamonds is music by Tchaikovsky. And uh, Balanchine loved Tchaikovsky. I think it reminded him very uh, clearly and closely of St. Petersburg, where he was uh, born and grew up and was schooled before the Russian Revolution. It became Petrograd and then Leningrad and so forth. And uh, Balanchine, of course, danced in The Sleeping Beauty as a child, which has music by Tchaikovsky, as did Nutcracker, uh, if you know our new Nutcracker with the hoop dance, the dance with the hoop, Balanchine was very famous for doing that as a young man, apparently he would bring the house down when he was about 19. So very fond memories of St. Petersburg and Tchaikovsky, and that's what he chose for Diamonds. It's the third symphony by Tchaikovsky. He did not choreograph the first movement. This was kind of common for Balanchine. First movements of symphonies are in a certain musical form that's kind of complex, and Balanchine, I think, just left that alone. So he he starts with the second movement, which is a waltz, and he sets this for the women of the corps de ballet with two soloists. And it's very typical of the kind of uh, movements and the kind of music you would hear in the late 19th century ballets in St. Petersburg, choreographed by Marius Pettipa, the French choreographer who really dominated the Russian scene in the second half of the 19th century. Balanchine felt he was really an heir of Pettipa, and that Pettipa was a great influence on Balanchine. Pettipa had a wonderful way of using people on stage in geometric patterns, which is something that was very appealing to Balanchine. You'll definitely see in Jewels tonight, particularly if you're sitting up above and look down on the patterns on the stage. Uh, We move then into the slow movement of the symphony that Balanchine choreographed for Suzanne Farrell who was really his leading muse at the time in the 60s. Once Suzanne came on the scene in the mid-60s it was really all Suzanne all the time. It created a lot of waves at New York City Ballet. Some dancers felt they were a little bit neglected because Balanchine was very interested in what Suzanne Farrell was doing. She moved in a little bit of an unorthodox way and he just loved it. Anything she did he loved and if another dancer did it it Didn't love it. So it was just, and he'd always say, you just have to be yourself. So Diamonds was choreographed for Suzanne Farrell, partnered by Jacques D'Amboise, who was a real veteran of the New York City Ballet. So he had this younger ballerina who was, she wasn't up and coming because she sort of arrived suddenly. But definitely she was sort of the queen of the evening and partnered by Jacques D'Amboise we did we have had some coaching by suzanne Farrell here at p m b when we first uh acquired Jewels in 2006, I believe she was here auditioning for her summer school and she did some coaching and then uh, Carell Cruz and Laura Tisserand went with Peter Boll to visit her in Washington, D.C. where she has her company at the Kennedy Center and she coached them there as well. So we have had peripherally some coaching by Suzanne Farrell but we did have Jacques D'Amboise here who is just terrific and uh, had wonderful stories about uh, Suzanne and Balanchine and Diamonds and has a wonderful sort of philosophical uh, sense of things, and was able to impart that, not just to the Diamonds dancers, but really the whole company. And if you watch the uh, short film that we've made, it, re- it opens with Jacques speaking in a studio rehearsal to the audience about the ballet, and about ballet in general. And it's it's really wonderful. So we're introduced to the ballerina in this uh, second movement of the ballet, which is the slow movement of the symphony. It's a long pas de deux. And it is just, uh, it's quite unique for Balanchine. Uh, Balanchine comes from the old school of partnering where the, the cavalier, as he would be called, would hold the women, women generally a little bit further from him. There was a sense of sort of old style decorum, a lot of partnering with one hand. And it does give a sense of freedom, a look of freedom to the ballerina, and a look of independence. And when Jules came out, Arlene Croce, who used to write regularly for The New Yorker, she was a big part of my ballet education, just reading her reviews are kind of amazing, and you felt like you were there. She said in the Diamonds Potida, Suzanne Farrell looks like the freest woman in the world, you know, that she doesn't even need the partner. Everything she's doing looks like she could do on her own, and that was a real credit to Jacques d'Amboise, that's for sure. Uh, a beautiful Potida, tonight you'll see it danced by Leslie Rausch with Carell Cruz. They have just loved the experience of working together, and I think that's really going to show on stage. The fast movement follows the scherzo uh, where we're introduced to more of the soloists in diamonds and all the bravura dancing and the final movement's really terrific. It is a Polonaise uh, Polish national dance. Uh, The women uh, don gloves for this, a sort of formal, uh, formal feel They go all the way up past the elbow and they all enter doing the Polonaise step. And in this, uh, in this finale, Balanchine is combining classical ballet with a lot of sort of steps that we would refer to as character steps from from national dances, particularly the Chardash and the uh, Polonaise that we associate with uh, Hungary and Poland. And uh, there was a ballet that Petipa made at the very end of his career called *Raymonda* in 1898. And when his Balanchine was growing up, this was sort of the newest Petipa ballet. And it was very popular at the Mariinsky Theater where he danced. And I'm certain that this uh, ballet was a big influence on him when he was creating diamonds and paying tribute to the Russian school and to Petipa. So we see in jewels Balanchine paying tribute to France, to uh, the US in rubies, to Russia in diamonds. But apparently, if you would ask Balanchine, well, Mr. Balanchine, what is rubies about? He would say, it's about 20 minutes. And that's the kind of answer he would give. He just did not really talk about things. And it may have been for the best. He really wanted his dancers to look fresh. He wanted them to take the movement he gave them and to make it their own, if you will. He was quite easygoing as a choreographer, apparently. If something wasn't working for a dancer, he was very willing to change it. If someone uh, came to an existing role and they just didn't, didn't turn well to the left or they their knee was giving them trouble, he was very happy to, to accommodate them and uh, create new choreography. For him, it was a very uh, fluid and flexible and malleable art form. And he uh, was just uh, concerned with that dancer looking good in that moment in that role. And, uh, and uh, that makes him quite unique. He was very, very confident in what he was doing, obviously, to be able to work that way. And I think it's... Uh, A major reason that dancers loved to work with him, not that they would take advantage of that, but that they knew that he had their best interests in mind when he was choreographing. And very definitely, Jules was a showcase for these dancers that Balanchine uh, loved so much, for Violet Verdi and Mimi Paul, for Edward Villella and Patricia McBride, for Suzanne Farrell and Jacques D'Amboise. Definitely this was a showcase for them, but also for the whole company dancing on this large stage at the New York State Theater. So as I said, many companies began to acquire, as we call it, jewels from the entity of the George Balanchine Trust, which was set up after his death to, to uh, facilitate the licensing of his works in a way that would, would keep the integrity of the works and the integrity of the choreography, but allow other companies to dance them. When Balanchine died, he left his ballets, which could actually be left as, as uh, property, to 14 different people which was really generous but really complicated because they thought, well, how, what are we going to do? We want these ballets to live, but we want them to be danced in the way that we knew that he wanted them to be done. So they uh, meant most of them deposited them into this balancing trust, which, uh, which, uh, Administers his work, if you will, and the, the director of the trust is a wonderful woman named Ellen Soren. She's here tonight, actually. Her brother uh, lives in Seattle, and she makes periodic visits here to see him, and we benefit by a visit from her as well. So she'll be in the audience tonight to see this new production. Four, and I'm finally getting to our production with four minutes to go. Uh, for this fiftieth year, Peter uh, Bull wanted to bring Jules back in the repertory. We did it in two thousand six, two thousand nine two thousand and fourteen, and fourth time now in seventeen and he asked the trust if we could redesign the ballet and to do that we uh, have we get the approval of the trust for our designer, and then they 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 sign off on the designs as well so Uh, Peter engaged Jerome Kaplan, who designed our Giselle. He's the designer for uh, our Romeo and Juliet, our uh, Sandrione, our new Cinderella, and our Don Quixote. So those really run the gamut from very historical and traditional to very uh, uh, contemporary. And uh, Jerome accepted and really wanted to pay tribute, of course, to the iconic Korinska designs. So the look and the... um, silhouette of the designs is very similar to what Karinska did, the length of the skirts, the length of the skirts in diamonds, the rubies with the, with the flapper uh, jeweled skirts and all, but, uh, but new and fresh as well. And he also made scenic designs, which are quite simple, and there's a trajectory to them. Emeralds is done uh, with more of a black design in front of a starscape, Uh, The feeling was that it worked well in the uh, sort of under the moonlight, if you will. We moved to rubies, where we have a combination of the black and white, kind of paying tribute to the art deco style of the 20s and 30s in the US. And then from diamonds, we moved to a much brighter white, if you will. So there's that sort of color trajectory, but that... At the same time, that scenic uh, palette really makes the costumes stand out, and the costumes are uh, such a large part of Jules. We've uh, made a gallery of uh, Jerome's designs out on the promenade. When you come in, our archival table is there with a presentation from the costume shop showing how the costumes are made and the materials, and then you can continue on and see all of the color designs that Jerome made for the... uh, for the show. Uh, Many, many hours of work, and about a year's worth of work to create these uh, costumes that are on stage. Uh, They're quite glamorous, and I'll sort of leave it at that. But we're very happy to have our own production of Jules. But at the same time, we join many, many other companies around the world in performing this piece. And I think that's wonderful for our dancers, too, Uh, not only that, but to have worked with many of the original creators. So that's Jules, uh, so far, and now you all will have a chance to weigh in on the new production. But uh, for the moment, are there any questions I can answer? Yes? Wasn't there a tour in which the company went to open a theater in Las Vegas where they did one section out of the three sections? Yes, we did. Boy, it was how many years ago now? Five, six, seven years. We went down to Vegas. They were opening a new theater down there, which is kind of a, it's an amazing theater. It's an art deco uh, sort of retro theater, spared no expense. And we performed Jewels in tandem with Ballet West, who performed Emeralds, and Nevada Ballet, which performed uh, Rubies, and we performed Diamonds. So we did a joint production, and it was a lot of fun. And in fact, this summer, Lincoln Center Festival presented Paris Opera Ballet, New York City Ballet, and the Bolshoi Ballet in a joint production as well, to in observance of the fiftieth anniversary. So Paris did just Emeralds, and the Bolshoi and New York City Ballet rotated in Emeralds or in Rubies and Diamonds, and that was quite a that was a big ticket item, that's for sure. I didn't see it. I know one of our trustees was there, but I read a lot about it, and I think it was a it was a wonderful idea. So. Um, it, it definitely gives an opportunity for companies to come together, and it can include uh, companies with fewer dancers and then companies with more. Diamonds, you need 34, and rubies, you need 17. I think 17. You also need 17 for emeralds, so yeah. Pretty mid to big ballets, for sure. Uh, anybody else with a question? Yes, please. Is there any uh, significance to the picture frame? There, there is a, a, a reference here to the uh, you having seen it already. There's a large picture frame in diamonds. Um, I've heard a few things. I, I'd have to ask Jerome Kaplan exactly what his his meaning is behind behind the the framing in diamonds. But uh, I know there definitely is a sense that the dancers sort of have come out of that frame. I don't know if that's a nod to the past that they're sort of emerging from. This, the style of diamonds being quite a, a 19th century style. But uh, I don't know if he'd be, want to be pinned down or not. But you'll have to see what you make of, make of the look when, as you see it. Um, I did want to say we don't have a post-performance talk tonight. Uh, it's a gala evening, and the gala events continue directly after the performance. But those will resume tomorrow. We're calling it Meet the Artist now, instead of post-performance Q&A but it's the same thing. My talk's also called Ballet Talk, but it's still the pre-performance lecture. We just, we changed the names a little bit. trying to keep it fresh. So, uh, all right. Well, it is time. Uh, Curtain is at 6.30. So glad you're here. It's very exciting to be here on an opening night, not only for the season, but for new production. And Peter Bowl will also have some special announcements from the stage immediately following Emeralds. And emeralds and rubies are connected just by a pause so it's emeralds pause rubies single intermission after rubies and then on to diamonds so that's unique to tonight but just uh, bear that in mind and it's laid out for you in the casting answer thank you for being here